there, everybody. What is going on? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 263. And my friends, it's been a minute, all right? Maybe it's been more than a minute. It's been a couple of weeks. I, I think I've talked about the fact that it seems like the, the podcast is kind of sliding into an every other week thing a little bit. Um, now, my plan, my plan, this, if it can all come together, is to actually come to uh, maybe February of 2023 to go back to weekly. Uh, but there's a number of things kind of going on between now and then. Uh, so, got some things that I'm working on in my own personal world that I'm kind of studying up for right now. And so, that takes a certain amount of time. And then on top of that, I'm going to be doing a series in the book of Numbers. Yes, that place that nobody ever preaches from. I'm going to do a series in numbers. It's going to be like six weeks. It's going to be in January through early February. And when you're taking a big book that nobody likes to read and then trying to squash it into six weeks, it can be a little bit challenging. So kind of for all of that, I know that, hey, just every other week for the podcast is probably going to be adequate kind of for what we're doing. But I'm really looking forward to it, too. It was funny because um, my, my vision has been to do what we call the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and I remember when I decided to do that, I thought, man, what am I going to do when I do Leviticus? Like, how do we do Leviticus? And honestly, for me, I mean, I've, I've taught through a lot of books of the Bible. I've done a lot of series over the years. Leviticus is in my top five most favorite series I've ever done. So that was kind of serendipitous for me because I actually just thought it was going to be a misery, but like it was like a labor of love. I would do it, but I'd hate it the whole time. And instead I'm like, man, Leviticus makes so much more sense now when you get out of the weeds of the 247 different laws and you understand it's all about loving your neighbor and the laws are really connected to that notion of loving your neighbor and putting others before yourself. And once you do that, Leviticus is pretty cool. So I'm hoping with numbers that it's more than just about a bunch of numbers, which here's the thing I do know for sure. There are some stories that are only in that particular piece of literature um, that we're pretty familiar with as far as like Moses gets mad and slaps down a rock, you know, like those kind of stories are in numbers. So it should be pretty good. So anyway, that's a big preamble just to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do the podcast every week, probably until February, and then we'll bring it back around on a more weekly basis. Now, there may be moments where I'm just inspired, and I decide, hey, let's do more than one in a two-week cycle, but for now, that's kind of what it is, and uh, at this point, this is now, what are we out, like, less than two weeks from Christmas, um, I think I might actually release one just the week of Christmas, uh, just kind of on that theme a little bit, I'm recording a few other things for Christmas as well, so that should be pretty cool, but uh, anyway, yeah, just lots of things in the air right now, right, it's like, it's, it's, it seems weirdly busy in all sorts of different ways right now, but that's just kind of the way it works, and I think there's snow coming as well, which is, then I'm super excited, because I love the snow, frankly, it's fantastic, so, but we are not here to talk about any of that today, no, we are not, my friends, we're here to talk about something completely different, and, and this is going to bleed into a little bit of this burden that I always carry, coupled to conversation that I recently had with somebody, um, and then connected to a TikTok that I was exposed to. And here's the thing about that. I don't have TikTok um, on my phone or anything like that. But my my kids, uh, they send me links like, oh, dad, you got to check out this TikTok. And then I can at least click that and open it. But I will not have TikTok on my phone. And not for any principled reason. I just know I don't want to end up in a seven-hour deep dive swiping and swiping and swiping and being kind of pulled in. Like I've made decisions in the last several years of my life to strip my phone down, to no social media on my phone, uh, to not have a laptop anymore, to only have a desktop. Like I wanted to really just be like, man, I want to be offline as much as possible. I want 
space to think, to process, to decompress, to just stand in line and look around instead of look down at my phone and see what's happening in the news, right, this millisecond or whatever else. And so I made a lot of conscious decisions to do that. Therefore, part of those decisions entails I've never had TikTok. I have no plans to download TikTok. But I do admit it is a funny medium, and a clever medium, and it's got some interesting things. Uh, Even with people that I would probably not have any agreement with, I go, but I really appreciate when I get a TikTok from my kids about that person or that person talking, because they do find some interesting things, but that's just a sidebar, all right? So anyway, recently, I'll start with the TikTok, then I'll go into the conversation, then how that relates to my burden. Maybe that's all in there. And and I think it has everything to do with being everyday missionaries. So uh, anyway, the TikTok was saying, if Paul we're interacting with the church in America today, we would be getting a letter, you know? And, and he goes, and then the person underneath the comment said, uh, and he wouldn't just stop with second and third Americans, you know? And so I like, in my mind, I'm picturing like, oh, the first epistle of Paul to the Americans and then Americans two and Americans three and we might rack up to American six or seven. Who knows, man? There's probably plenty in our culture that Paul would have something to say because when I read through his epistles, there's plenty in those epistles that I go, well, that has to deal with us, man. We have those problems. We have these challenges and everything else. And so I kind of thought about like, yeah, you know, what is it that Paul would really be, you know, kind of saying, hey, you American church, this is what you're you're battling with, right? Uh, and then that made me think about this conversation I was having with somebody recently. It was a group of us, and one of the persons in the group had made this comment about a person that was employed in a job, and they're like, and I, you know, they did this and this and this, and it's terrible because they're a Christian and they should not do it that way. Being a Christian, you shouldn't do your job that way. And this other person that is not a Christian kind of paused the conversation and said, well. What's that have to do with anything? And so the person that had kind of brought it up said, well, you know, if they're a Christian. They should know better than to do that thing. And then this other person said, well, here's my deal. I've worked with all sorts of Christians, and I don't see them to bring any added benefit being a Christian to the workplace. Some of them are just as good as any other worker. Some are worse than other workers, you know, but I've never seen like, oh, that person's a Christian. They really bump up the game so much more and their faith is so central to why they work so hard or so good or so kind or whatever. They were just like, I don't know why you're making the comment that like somehow Christianity should make some kind of difference because I've never seen it make any kind of difference in the workplace. And, and that's the part that kind of struck me. All right, and then this then dips into this burden that I carry a little bit, and and I'm saying I'm a part of this. Like I need to be a part of the solution, not simply parting, pointing out the problem kind of thing. But one of the burdens I've carried for a while, and this is for me, this has been probably in the top five biggest burdens for the last probably handful of years, and and it's you know when I and this goes to maybe reading Paul, right? So when I read the New Testament, I see where there's this constant narrative about. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and there is this empowerment from God, like his presence gives you an advantage for life. That's the way I'm going to kind of 
take this simplified idea that God gives you a unique supernatural advantage to doing life. Like Jesus promises, hey, I'm going to give you a joy that no one can take away. I'm going to give you this peace that nobody can fully understand. The world can't give you the peace that I'm going to give. Uh, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give my spirit to you. He's a helper. He's a comforter. He's a guide. He's going to unleash truth in you. He's going to reveal deeper truth to you. Then you get to the New Testament epistles and you're seeing where the Holy Spirit's working in people to produce these different attributes and uh, we call them fruit of the spirit as well as other dispositions of brotherly love and forgiveness and compassion and kindness and all these kinds of things, right? So by extension, the Christian technically should have a pretty superior advantage over acting like Jesus in comparison to the world that may not have the Holy Spirit, doesn't have union with Christ, all these kinds of things, right? So I read all of these things where it's like, man, we are fully loaded for the task of living well in the world. But then the experience that we all know is that, well, why don't we live in a way that is clearly marked by some kind of supernatural advantage to be more of these different kind of virtues? Like, why isn't it that way? Why why is it that when I talk to people that are like servers and uh, baristas and things like that, they're like, the Sunday morning crowd is like the worst crowd of the week. And you're like, really? Why are we the worst crowd of the week? And I know that's an overstatement, and I'm sure that's not the case everywhere. But, you know, why is it that they go like the Christian people when they come in and we mess up their order, they're rude or they're mean or they don't tip or whatever else. Why is it when there's a convention? I think I did a podcast on this about how last year uh, the there was a convention, uh, I think it was the For the Gospel convention, and they were interviewing all of like the servers and everything else that had been in the downtown where the convention was, and like, oh man, that was just a terrible experience with all these Christian leaders from around the country coming in for four days. It didn't enrich our city. It didn't enrich our lives. If anything, it was just an added extra burden for all these Christians to show up. And and that's the stuff that I was thinking about more and more. It's like, how how is it that we are meant to be these these difference makers. We're meant to be salt. We're meant to be light. Uh, God has empowered us to be those kinds of things and kind of bold and, and beautiful ways. And then the world sometimes looks and goes, we just don't see it. Why don't we see it? Why don't we see it at scale at least? You know, like like there's pockets are like, oh, there's this one Christian who was super, super cool, really, really dug them. They're amazing. They're positive. They're upbeat, everything else. But that's almost like the, that's not the norm. That's kind of like the outlier where it seems like more people have been hurt by Christians, turned off by Christians, put out by Christians, whatever it is. And this is kind of my burden. And when I kind of put all of this together and I go, hey, we would get a letter, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh Americans. uh, And this person that was like, yeah, I just don't, I've worked with a lot of Christians over my career. I just don't see that they bring any unique added bonus to the table. They're fine. I mean, like he was saying, like, some of them are great. They're fine people. I totally work great with them. I don't have an issue with them. It's just this notion that, oh, they're Christian. They should do it better or more honestly or more thoroughly or more compassionately. He's like, I've just, I've just never seen that. They just seem no different to me than anybody else, you know? Uh, And then, but we have all these Bible promises, like we're meant to be a very different people and that we're empowered to be a different people. And, And that's the burden for me. And so, in a weird sort of way for the podcast today, it's less that I'm coming and saying like, hey, here's how we should all do things. Pa-pow! Blow out my pistols and be done. You know, it, it, it's just more like I'm going like, maybe I'm pondering out loud with all of us to go, why does that seem to be the case? 
why, if the Bible makes so many blatant, um, uh, like, like, inf- not inflated, like I'm saying something bad, but like it makes a lot of claims that that we are endowed with all these extras, right? Like I said, we're fully loaded in comparison to like just a entry level sedan, you know, like we have all the power windows and heated seats and heated steering wheel and it can park itself and it can fly to the moon. Like whatever, like if, if we're fully loaded, why don't we live out the fully loaded life? That's kind of the question that I've been wrestling with. And I, I've been wrestling with it, I think for a few years, especially I think through COVID and the reactions to COVID and reactions to social crises and the reaction to political problems and all these things where I'm like, man, we should be like the peacemakers. We should be chill. We should be the ones that are not inciting frustration and fear. And we shouldn't be motivated by frustration and fear because, again, we have these fruits of the spirit uh, or I should say fruit. It's singular nine things, but it's a singular concept that Paul has there. Uh, we should be the most loving, the most joyful, the most peacemaking, the most patient, the most kind. Like, cause, cause we're not even having to dig deep to do that. Like the average person would have to dig deep, but we have God in us, right? And he's the one that is actually the, the embodiment of all of those, those virtues. So why don't those come more easily to us? I think it was just in those last few years of seeing that, that for me, it was even hard at times. I think even from the perspective of my faith, because I'm like, if this is all true, why don't we see it more often? If these statements that the New Testament kind of doubles down on as far as uh, divine presence produces transformation, like if that isn't there in obvious and and kind of abundant measure, then how true is this? Like that's what I would wrestle with at times. Like if, it, you know, and then some people say like, well, most people just aren't saved. They just think they're saved. And it comes to this question of like, if you're really saved, you'll be different. But unfortunately, a lot of the people that are constantly questioning people's salvation. I don't see them as any more super spiritual than anybody else. It's like, okay, well then you're part of the problem more than the solution. I feel like I'm a part of the problem more than the solution. Why am I not being more spirit-like, you know? And so if I, as I wrestle with this to some degree, I don't have answers. I, I knew, do know a couple of things from this. I think one is um, I think it has to kind of become our ambition to be truly spirit-led. You know, and, and Paul kind of gets into this in Romans chapter 8 where he's like, hey, man, your mind, when it's set on the flesh, it's going to lead to fleshly things. But a mind set on the spirit leads to spirit things. And I do think if Paul was writing the first epistle to the American church, uh, I think one of the first things he would highlight is you all do a lot of stuff in your own strength because you're all distracted by a lot of things. Like you don't have enough of a spirit-minded life because you are so inundated to have a fleshly-minded life, even in the name of your faith. Like, I think that's really true. Like, one of the things that sometimes fatigues me about the evangelical movement in the United States is it does feel very fleshly to me a lot of times. Like, it's about money and it's about influence. It's about creating, like, these little sub pockets of, uh, you know, hey, we're losing our rights, so we're going to create an organization and we're going to ask you to donate millions to it, you know. And so then it becomes, like, you create organizations to tell Christians they're threatened and then they need to subsist because they have a headquarters in D.C. and they've got a president and they've got a staff, da 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 and pretty soon you want the problems to persist forever because you need the money to keep the infrastructure for the problem you originally started from to fight you know like all of that's there and so sometimes they just go like man we create a lot of earthly thinking a lot of fleshly thinking like more and more i think how much power and money has just really corrupted the evangelical movement and so from that i go yeah we're so busy thinking fleshly and we're so busy seeing disbelieving people more as kind of our social adversary than as our evangelistic uh, like like goal 
that then we're weary of half our population or when we see things that are happening in society that we don't agree with instead of saying like we got to be praying for these people we got to be loving these people even extra tenderly and 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 with with greater sensitivity it's almost like we go no we got to make sure we're taking stands for things we got to make sure we're highlighting these problems and even right now there's kind of a little bit of a increase in some of the different respiratory sicknesses and COVID right now. And I'm already hearing from Christians on social media, things that are just not at all Christian, you know, I'm just like, here it comes again. Here it is. We're going to just go ahead and wreck our witness all over again. Right. And hence a friend looks and says, I just don't understand why you're making a big deal about they're a Christian. They should do a different. I don't see a difference between Christians and non-Christians. Or if anything, the only difference I see is that Christians hold a standard that they don't want to live up to. So they have ethics and values and beliefs, but they don't actually want to accomplish those. So those of us who don't believe in those things, hey, I guess we're doing pretty good because those aren't our convictions and we're still pretty good people. And if that's your conviction and you can't do it, shows how much you don't actually believe in it. It's just sort of an ideology, right? Like that was kind of the spirit of the conversation. And this is, again, where I'm saying all this, not because I'm trying to say, see, we all suck, how bad we are, that... I always go back to we have to be able to see clearly and honestly the problem if we're ever going to be a part of the solution, and we have to be willing to just be open with ourselves and say, yeah, um, the the road to healthy uh, displays of faith is a hard road. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it's a narrow and difficult way. Just my personal belief, and when he says that there, he's not talking about salvation. I don't believe he's talking about salvation there. I think he puts that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount to say, everything I've just said to you is a narrow and difficult way. Few will find it. Few will actually live out the kingdom values, right? I don't think that means you're not saved. That's a different discussion for a different day. You know, I'm I'm an advocate of saved by grace. And so I actually don't think your works has anything to do with it. Getting in, staying in, any of that. So as soon as we start going, well, do you have works? Do you really? have faith if you don't have work you don't have faith well then you're making works a part of faith man like honestly like i i just have a real aversion to that so when it comes to the sermon on the mount it's not like hey you got to do the sermon on the mount to prove you're a christian but what it is is if you want to be a serious christian a faithful christian if you want to actually change the world then what jesus lays out in the sermon on the mount is the way to do it and he says ah it's really really hard a lot of people just aren't going to do it you're not going to do it again i don't think that means sorry so you're not saved it just means you're saved but you didn't do it it's the person that in First Corinthians 3, they get in with the smell of smoke on them. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you made it through the flames, got nothing to show for it, but you're in. Like, it's not a salvation problem. It's a sanctification problem. And the core of the sanctification problem is not, hey, you were trying to do Christian things, but rather the core of the sanctification problem, I think from what I'm talking about today, is am I yielding to the Holy Spirit in such a way that his power flows through me in such a way that the world takes notice and says, whoa, that's different. Humans can't just do that on their own. You make a marked difference in the world because you're not making the marked difference. Your God is living through you making a marked difference in the world. That's the essence of this whole thing that I'm getting at. Because if if what the New Testament says is true, right? If it's true, if God's power courses in his people, but the way we see that power then revealed is we're leaning into the spirit. We're not putting our mind on all the earthly stuff that's so easy to do. And again, a lot of that earthly stuff is in our religious system. Like it really is, you know, like this is why I've always been kind of a, hey, religion corrupts a little bit or religion is easily corrupted because there is 
money and power and influence and all of these things attached to it. And it is easily abused. You don't have to look far to find the abuses of religion in the lives of people. And it has a powerful pull because religion often is saying, hey, in the name of God, in the authority of God, here's what I'm telling you to do or not do or be afraid of or pursue or whatever else. So there's all sorts of potential for abuse in there. And we have to kind of strip all of that away and say, man, the real core of what it is I need to do is yield my life to Jesus every day, to yield my life to the Holy Spirit in every way, to set my mind on the Spirit, to not respond in earthly, fleshly ways, even if it's meant to defend Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church, whatever. If we if we defend our faith in fleshly ways, we failed our faith. Because the faith was never meant to be defended. It was meant to be expressed and expressed not in my own strength. Paul makes that clear. Right? I die daily, he says, right? I, 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 I just, I go to the cross every day and I die so that God's power may live in and through me. Read Galatians 2. It's awesome that way. And see, that's the space that we all want to strive to be in. Again, we're going to do it imperfectly. As a church, we say imperfect people redeemed by a perfect God. But we also don't want to keep going down roads that are more about Defending Jesus in earthly ways as opposed to yielding to Jesus in spiritual ways to change the earthly ways around us with his spiritual ways. Like that's the core and the heart of what we want to do. And so I think for all of us that are listening, it means, hey, man, I, I got to see the problem clearly. I need to see the solution clearly, which is a little bit tough because it's not a checklist as much as it's kind of a prayerful daily yielding and seeking of the Holy Spirit. It's more that. Um, and then say, hey, you know what? I, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to demonstrate to people why, in fact, life is better with Jesus, how I make their lives better because I my life is with Jesus. Because that's a big part of life is better with Jesus. Not like just, hey, I want my life to be better with Jesus because it's all about me and him and that's it. That's not it. It's actually saying, I want others' lives to be better. And the way that happens is because I'm so synced up with Jesus that Philippians 2, I'm looking out not only for my own interests, but the interests of others. In fact, it says uh, putting their needs and interests even before my own. Right? This is why I've shared some of the other things that I just really aspire to where I'm like, I don't want it to be about my way of life, my opinions, what makes me comfortable, what secures my future, what secures my prosperity, my security, whatever it is. Like, like I don't want it to be that. I want it to be like, man, how do we change this world? Here's the way we do it. We don't keep trying to use the worldly ways and things to change the world, but rather we yield, we surrender, we seek, we desire, we crave the Holy Spirit to be doing massive, selfless, Christ-centric works in us every day, to produce his fruit in us, his heart in us, his vision in us, his faithfulness in us. And I believe if we can do those things, we will be effective everyday missionaries.